My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and this is the Scars and Guitars podcast. You're about to listen to my conversation with a wonderful human being. His name is Johnny Taylor. The reason for the conversation was to promote Johnny's new album for 2017 called Dig Deep. Really hope you enjoy this discussion. Let's go. Wonderful stuff, mate. How's your day been treating you before we get stuck into things? What have you been up you to? You know, I, um, I went and did a construction job today. And that was the first time in about a year that I've put the tool bag on, and I'm struggling, mate. <laughs> I've fallen a bit. Well, it's match fitness, isn't it, mate? You'd probably be back up to speed given a month or so. Yeah, I, I hope not. <laughs> I'm hoping to avoid any more construction work. Yeah, mate. You, you mate. I, I suppose I better get stuck into the interview because that's uh, that's interesting. Actually, before we get stuck in, mate, that's interesting because, mate, you play on average every second night of the year. You know, 180 gigs or so, mate. So how the bloody hell do you fit in a construction job in and around all your um performance? Yeah, well, we're, I, I live in a tiny little country town, and um, I'm the only guy that has any plastering experience within like an 80 kilometer radius. And um, right. and word got around that. Old mate, long-haired old mate down the road knows how to fix things, and all of a sudden my phone starts ringing. Jeez, mate. Well, um, I've said this to a few musicians in the past. Don't be too competent, mate. Otherwise, your time just gets spent doing all sorts of different things. <laughs> <laughs> I said that to a bloke over That's in the UK. Well, I said that to a bloke over in the UK, and he's a good bloke actually, but I don't think he understood what I meant. But uh, all I was really saying was, yeah, you do tend to get pulled in many different directions. And we musicians, mate, because I'm a musician as well, mate, we uh, we tend to be pretty handy on the tools. You know, there's not that yeah. much of a difference between a slide rule and a guitar at the end of the day. I've found. I think there's a, a certain element of creativity with construction or with fixing things that um, I totally probably resonates agree. with musos. No, I totally agree. I said that to a builder the other day, and he disagreed with me completely. But I thought, no, it's got to. I mean, I've built a few things myself. Like, mate, I'm a, I'm a suburbanite. You know, I'm here in the sunny coast, as suburban as you can probably get around here, anyway. Um, but you know, I've built a shed in my time. You know, I've done a few things here and there, and put bikes back together and all that sort of stuff. But I totally agree, mate. There is a creative element to it. You know, you can't just sort of, you know, f- follow a script, so to speak, completely. You've got to sort of improvise at some point, haven't you? Absolutely. And the other thing, too, I think, is you can look back. When you built something, you can look back and sort of see what you've achieved, whereas with music, you don't really have that that liberty of um, of, of always seeing the... Uh, the labour of what you've been up to. Yeah. Mate, talking about labours of love, I've got to congratulate you on the new album that you got out, Dig Deep. So, mate, admittedly, I'm not what you would call a fan of countrified rock music, but I have enjoyed listening to your album. I've had it on in the background as I've been playing with the kids in a waiting pool in the backyard, mate, and it's been amiable. <laughs> mate, it's been, it's been really good, amiable entertainment, you know. But, but, mate, what does the album mean to you? It's, as I say, I think it, it sounds like it's a bit of a labour of love. Yeah, it has been, yeah, and and a labour of hate at, from time to time too. That it was basically written and recorded, partially recorded a couple of years ago, and um and I turned thirty and I just went, you know what? If I'm going to record another album and invest all this time and money, I want to make sure I do it right. And uh, and I kind of scrapped everything that I had and and reworked all of this music. So for me, it's finally a record that I can kind of say that it um, reflects my influences pretty pretty clearly and it's straight down the line who I am as an artist. So how did you go about creating the cuts that comprise the album? Are they mainly solo affairs that you created on an acoustic guitar and then brought to life and in with the band in a rehearsal room or was it more collaborative than what I've just described? 
it was pretty much um, it, it was pretty much an overall vision. And the danger that I was coming across was that all the songs were being written on an acoustic guitar in a solo format, um, and, which is kind of the natural songwriter thing to do. But uh, yeah, and that's kind of where things went a bit pear shaped for me. I was going, oh, God, I just want to do a, a kind of rocky record. Um, so I jumped in. I, I started building a, a house out in the wheat belt in WA. And, um, yeah, that was kind of my time to, to get creative and start thinking about a band setting and how I want this record to actually sound. So uh, I'm being chased by a little poodle, mate. That's what the barking is in the background. <laughs> no, all good, mate. Got a beats being attacked by a bull terrier, what, I ha- what happens to be at home. So <laughs> all the poodles, right. poodles, from what I remember of my grandparents when they had them, they can be pretty vicious when they want to be. So, mate, watch your heels. <laughs> He just wants attention, poor little bugger. Yeah, they do, don't they? Domesticated dogs, they love getting <laughs> attention, and we, we got to give it to them. But, uh, mate, um, I've got two daughters, mate, and I've got to tell you, the dog definitely slips a few rungs down the totem pole when kids come along. Oh, yeah, I could imagine. You know, he goes from living inside of the house, being my wife, being mum, being mum's, you know, favourite thing, to being somewhere in the outhouse, literally sleeping in a kennel next to the shed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but that's uh, poor little bugger. Oh, it, it, it happens. But uh, mate, tell me about something that I've noticed about a consistent theme through your videos and on this album here is the amulet that adorns the Dig Deep album cover. And you, as I say in the videos, you're also wearing it. Um, so the video I watched was the, uh, the 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 accompanying video to the cut diamonds. So what does that amulet sig- signify? The what? Sorry, Andy, I, I kind of missed the question there. The, the necklace that you've got around your neck, um, I've seen it a few times now, oh. so it's on the album cover and I've seen it in the video. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, actually, I, I really love that sort of stuff. I love the, um, the spiritual side of crystals and all that sort of stuff. And uh, and this particular crystal had um, sort of called my name uh, for years at a, at a store uh, down in the southwest of WA. And... Um, and I bought it. It was literally sitting in the shop for about six years, and my wife talked me out of buying it. She said it was a bit too feminine. <laughs> and then, gotta love that. And it was just sat there and sat there. And so I bought the thing. And then I was out somewhere in town, and a lady said to me, "Oh, are you Johnny Taylor, you're the singer, because I recognise you from your crystal, your necklace." And um, and I thought, oh, of all my distinguishing features, she's picked the necklace. So I kind of thought I'll, I'll just run with that for a bit of branding, basically. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, no, it was it's probably one of the first things that I noticed as well. I mean, I know you're wearing I think you're wearing a white or a grey T shirt in the video, so it's fairly prominent and then it's it's on the album cover as well. So um mate, yeah, you're probably right, it was calling your name because it is something that lets you stand out from the pack, at least visually. Yeah, oh well, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, and, and the idea of it's called Aqua Aura, this particular stone and, and one of its main purposes to is to uh connect you with your higher self, so to speak. So um, maybe it all happened for a reason at the right time. I guess I don't know, but it's pretty. I like it. <laughs> so, mate, I've got to I've got to ask because I've got I'm a musician myself, and 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 I feel this way. Okay, so I'll put the question to you: Are you a um, are you say yeah, a carpenter or a, or a plasterer? Sorry, masquerading as a musician, or are you a music, musician masquerading as a, a plasterer? I'm definitely a musician that happens to do a little bit of plastering three go. days a year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can. I can three days too many, I might have. 
no, I can understand that. I've just uh, completed my role or just finished up my career at Telstra, actually, after 11 years being an account executive, and I often said I was a musician masquerading as a uh, account executive. Um, yeah, that's you, it. You've got to follow your muse, haven't you? You know, the only difference between my two muses is one doesn't pay a goddamn thing and the other one paid pretty bloody well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hadn't actually been on the tools for about seven years. I've been strictly full-time musician for seven years, and then... Um, yeah, we moved out to this little country town and, and uh, all the houses of, uh, of an era where the ceilings are falling down. So, um, yeah, I mean, if I could get out there and help someone from uh, dying in their sleep from a collapsing ceiling, <laughs> yeah, I'm more than sure. happy to do so. So, mate, you strike me as an artist that has a hardcore group of fans following you online and no doubt at live performances. So what's fan feedback been like regarding Dig Deep? Really good. Yeah, really good. I, I did have some interesting feedback from a few people saying that they preferred the slower, uh, more serious material, which was kind of more the, the path that something to say was on my previous album. Um, but I think 95% of people wanted something a little more upbeat and rocky. So, uh, yeah, sales have been really good. Um, it, w- it went to number three on the iTunes singer-songwriter album chart and sat there for a good few days. So that, that was a really great outcome. And I wanted to make sure I went singer-songwriter as opposed to country, just so that we didn't sort of uh, pigeonhole the release too much. Yeah, I can understand that. And, mate, how did people find out about you? I know you're a prolific live performer, but, mate, I mean, people overseas and the like, you have a bit of a following in, um, in, in the south of the USA, for example, where country music's the hot thing? I, I would probably say that a lot of that came from the Australia's Got Talent stint that I did back in 2012. Uh it was, you know, one of those things where you you get a bit of mass publicity for a few days and then you're sort of forgotten about. But I think I was pretty fortunate that the song that I sang was written for a friend of mine who was struggling with alcoholism. And that kind of just connected with people. We've all got that one friend or we all are that friend or whatever. And, uh, um, yeah, so I think there's a bit of YouTube traction from that, which, which really connected with people on that sort of emotional level. So... Because um, I've never travelled outside of Australia for music, so I guess I guess the internet's the way to go for that sort of thing. Do you get a lot of feedback? Because, mate, I actually I'll, I'll phrase this next question as a statement first. I reckon you'd go bloody well in Nashville, mate, if you moved over there and started working with session musicians and, and did you think effectively following in the Caboolture Kids' footsteps, Keith Urban? Is that do you get a lot of? I mean, do you get a lot of um, the aggregation or the statistics that tell you where your fans are coming from? Not really, no. And I guess a lot of... The reason I probably don't look into that too much is because I just travel and tour so much that I kind of, um, I guess, rely on the locals to uh, to tell me what's working, what isn't working, and, and to what areas I should go. But, yeah, I have heard quite a few people reckon, say that they reckon I'd go well in Nashville, but I just feel like I've got so much more ground to cover in Australia before I consider going international. Yeah, it's not like you're going to stop doing what you're doing anytime soon, isn't it? Because you've effectively got the rest of your life to do this, and and if if it, that's what it takes to go overseas, and so be it. You know, in terms of a couple of years' time, ten years' time, whatever it might be. If you, I mean, it's wonderful to hear you've got. Um, I, I mainly interview artists from the hard rock, heavy metal, and um, punk rock scene, right? And we've got a very small scene here in Australia with that. So bands effectively have to look overseas if they want to increase their listenership. Um, but yours is quite the opposite. You've got a broad following here. Yeah, and I think that's just through touring and, and again through the TV show and all that stuff. It all it all really helps. But um, I've always said to my wife that if I went to 
America or, or went anywhere international for that matter, it would be at a time where I just feel like I can't progress any further in Australia. And at this point in time, I just feel like I've got so much further to go. Um, and and I've also got myself in a financial position where um, I need to be kind of sensible. I'm not the kind of guy at the table just to shoot off for a few months and sleep on people's couches and hope for the best. You know, I have to be a bit more calculated than that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which um, which is good for my future, I guess, but it does uh, it, it does affect the kind of decisions that I'm able to make and the opportunities that I'm able to create. Have you ever been offered a big tour? Uh, no, no, not really. I'm working on one at the moment with a guy called James Blundell. I'm, I'm, yeah, of course, uh, yeah, know him. In a way, I've got a few dates with him. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't know him well. He went through the school I went through. Actually, as a boarder, I went through a boarding school, and he was about ten years ahead of me. Oh, there you go. You know, so um, yeah, but yeah, he's he he sang that song. Uh, was it with James Rain? I mean, God forgive me here, because I know it's the one country song every Australian seems to know. But living on the land from 1992. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I had to bring it up. <laughs> you know, no, it's good. Way out west, yeah. Way out west. That's right. I live. I, I just remember that that vocal refrain. Yeah, living on the land. I just remember that. Um, and yelling that out at 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 B and S balls. Um, out near Laidley and places like that, mate. You know, just out here in the uh, Darling Downs in Queensland. Because I'm being a musician, you tend to play a lot of these B and S balls. And after we finish our rock music, our Guns and Roses and all the rest of it. Um, they tend to put that stuff on over the PA, and that's when people are really pissed and really having a good time, as you, <laughs> as you probably well know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I feel like I've dodged the bullet, actually, because I've never been asked to play a BNS ball. Mate, I, that, and, uh, that genuinely it, surprises me, I've got to tell you, because you would go down like a rum and coke, mate. <laughs> You're like a Bundy. Yeah, I, well, I don't know. I just I, like This is the funny thing about where I sit in the, in the scene, is I don't really... I don't like. I never grew up on country music, so I don't actually know a lot of country stuff at all. And uh, and James Blundell was my first taste of country music, and that wasn't until I was about twenty-two. Mm. Um, and I met him through just through a chance through a competition that I'd entered, like a talent quest. And uh, and I just met this guy. I had no idea who he was, but I thought he's nice and friendly. Um, and when I got home, I told my my father-in-law about him. He said, "Oh yeah, that's James Blundell." And check out his CD and I listened to this song called um, Amsterdam Breakfast and I just thought it was a really cool track and it, was, it wasn't it was too country and western you know like it didn't leave that sour taste in my mouth um, as a young wannabe rocker and so that's kind of how it all started for me actually through that guy Oh well that's that's interesting mate so it does lead to the broader question what were you into, pri- into prior to playing country music sounds like you're in a similar path to myself in terms of the rock music the grunge you know that sort of thing yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that sort of stuff. Pretty much anything that came out of Seattle in the 90s was, was kind of what I was into. Um, my brother was a drummer. Um, he's nine years older than me. So when I was growing up, I just wanted to be just like my big bro, you know, the, the long-haired rock star guy. And uh, so I grew up on, on his music, which was kind of Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I went a little bit heavier because I'm a classically trained guitarist. So... Um, so I think there's a, a natural thing to kind of gravitate towards metal as well. With those, yeah, for sure. You know, there are a lot of scales that are quite similar. Um, so then I got into that real prog stuff. I, I love Tool. I loved anything that was outside of 4.4 four or 6.8, basically. I wanted to hear it and, and figure out how it went. Um, 
And yes, and I did touch on that a little bit on this new record too. There's a, a track called Wishing Well where I, I delved a little bit into the seven eight realm, which was really fun because a bit of sound garden you know, there for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A bit of yeah, eight, I felt yeah. a bit naughty. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I can. I, I, I've got to hand it to you because country isn't my thing at all. To be quite frank, it's country and rap are the two things I don't really listen to. And I know you're not strictly a country artist, but you know you know what I mean when I say you know you're in the country realm of things. There was something about. There was something about Dig Deep that I, I typically, when I get releases similar to yours, mate, God, I'm just speaking very frankly, I might listen to it very quickly or even skip through it just so as though I'm familiar enough with it to have a decent interview. But, mate, I played it a couple of times, and I was thinking, why, why am I getting into this one? Or why can, why can it stay in the background, and why am I happy for it to be on in the background when I've got other country releases in the past and I haven't been able to get past? As soon as the violin comes in, I'm gone. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think yours is just... You know, yours is rooted in truly rooted in rock and roll, and there's just a little bit of country through it. I mean, so I don't know whether you take that as a compliment or otherwise, but I think it's a compliment. Uh, uh, yeah, well, and the thing is, I don't like I said before, I don't really listen to a lot of country, so I don't actually know where that influence came from um, to find myself in the country scene. And I quite often get asked about that: what what is you? And I don't really know. I think there's a I mean, I live in a country town where I've got about 200 people in town, so um, I'm probably about the most country country artist I know <laughs> in, in that regard. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think there's something just about, you know, travelling, the nature of the songs and, and the way I sing, maybe there's a, a fairly natural, um, uh, I don't know, I guess, I try to be genuine in everything I do. So, you know, maybe that's why the, con the country crowd connects to it, but I don't really care what, what category it sits in. As long as people are listening and enjoying, that's what really matters to me. Yeah, yeah. No, no, agreed. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I should have even asked if you considered yourself a country artist, but it doesn't sound like you do, of course. You're just playing the music that, that is emotionally the right fit for, what, what, for your creative muse. Yes, that's exactly it, yeah. And, and there are a couple of songs that are, that are obviously country in, in their theme, you know, about coming home and, Gravel Roads and uh, and a drought song, of course, but um, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I'm, I'm just doing what comes naturally to me, and that's why this record did take so long to get off the ground because I was kind of writing and recording music, thinking, where am I in the scene? Like, am I a country artist? Am I a rock artist? What's going on here? And yeah, like I say, I, I just don't really care. I just had to do whatever came naturally and wherever it fits, it fits. Mate, how does um, or does Western Australia? as uh, your experiences as a Western Australian, does that identifiably influence your music? Not at all, no. I, I hardly spend any time in WA, to be fair. I spend about, probably about six months of the year interstate, travelling around touring. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't say there's any particular part about being West Australian that affects my music or my songwriting in any way, shape or form. And, and for three years prior to releasing this record, my wife and I, when I were completely homeless, um, in, in a good way, like by choice. Okay, <laughs> we were just there you go. Around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't be alarmed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. So, so, you, so the music. Yeah. I mean. So, yeah. I've, I've, the reason I asked the question, I've spoken to. They're from very diverse uh, genres, actually. Hip hop, rap, urban music. That's you're actually the first rock guy that I've spoken to from Western Australia. There's a very fertile creative scene over there. 
And when I asked them that question, they said, yeah, definitely, absolutely, it's affected me in this way, for example. So it's very interesting to hear that you're playing a different sort of music and it hasn't really affected you, but it might be the, the, the broader reason might be because you're on the road so often and you really, you know, you don't have, you don't have the time for it to sort of seep in and influence the music. Yeah, that's definitely a factor. And, and the other thing is when I am home, I live uh, 300 k southeast of Perth, so I'm not really in that scene of, um, of really networking with other musicians or other rock musicians or going out to shows and that sort of stuff because I'm out in the country, um, yeah, sort of enjoying the peace and quiet. So I don't really... But I have to admit, that's one thing I do miss, actually, is that sort of camaraderie of, of having other bands and, and mates that we can kind of go to shows and influence each other with. Um, and maybe that's a factor in why this record took so long as well because I didn't have that inspiration or all my mates kind of egging me on musically, so to speak. Yeah. Mate, where do you find musicians from in order to back you and perform on the album? I have been very lucky to have, have guys pretty much in every capital city I go to. So um, in, in Perth, I've got some really cool players. Uh, and my drummer in particular, a guy called Trent Matheson, he travels with me quite a bit when I head into the state. And then I've got some players in Sydney um, and down in Melbourne and also in around Brizzy and Gold Coast. So... Uh, yeah, that, that was a really big learning curve too, is playing with session players because I was always so worried about that, you know, like giving them charts and hoping that they learn their bits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, look, I've done a little bit of it myself and it's always a beautiful thing when you walk into a room having only shaken hands prior to walking through the door and then you start playing together and it sounds like as though you've been doing it for years. Yeah, it's an amazing skill. It's a skill that I don't really have. I'm, I'm a bit too... Um, I don't know, I might overthink things a little bit too much, but... Yeah, they they do their job so well and they make you comfortable as a front man and I think that's just so important is, is to be able to walk on stage and, and confidently deliver the tracks that I wrote, you know. So, um, yeah, so finding band, band members that way, it did take a lot of time to, to gain the trust and the confidence, but it's a, it's pretty smooth sailing now, to be honest. So, mate, you're, you're a working musician and I mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, the press release stated that you perform around 180 shows annually, so course of the mathematically inclined that's about one every one show every two days I, I i perform one or two times a week and i'm beat afterwards you know what i mean i'm really stuffed the next day i'm, I'm just buggered how the hell do you maintain the stamina for such a vigorous schedule uh i don't know i, I guess yeah i don't really know uh i do enjoy it i really enjoy it i, I have to admit since i've been living out in the country it's been a little bit more taxing just because I'm kind of faced with a three-hour drive before and after every week of shows. Um, you know, if I finish a Sunday session later on a Sunday night, I'm looking down the barrel of a three-hour drive, getting home at two or three in the morning or whatever. Know that, know that one very well, yes. Yeah. It's, oh, it's cool music, I know that, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just, I just, I, I can't seem to stop doing it. It's a bit of a bit of a habit, and I never really considered myself to be that kind of guy when I was younger, but... It's been a very organic process, becoming a, a bit of a gypsy and just singing to make a living, basically. Yeah, that's a good point. What does success look like for you? Because I take it music's already, I mean, it, clearly it's already self-sustaining. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so for, for seven and a half years, this has been my, my full-time living. Um, and then with with the little spare money that we've had, we've kind of dribbled into to property investment. So I... I um. I kind of dabble with dabble with both ends of the spectrum there, you know, the, the serious side of things and also the, the fun travelling and touring side of things. So, 
it's all a bit of a balancing act, I guess. Yeah. Mate, how do people find out about you? How do they get a hold of your music and how do they interact with you on social media? Uh, the easiest way is through Facebook. I really love Facebook. It's really fun. So, um, so people are, are out there having a search. It's just Johnny Taylor with no H in Johnny. And, um, yeah, I'm on there doing the thing. And so um, laying in bed, pretty much playing on the phone until I drop the phone on my face. <laughs> <laughs> no, that feeling occasionally, yeah, until the kids, or in my case, the kids come and take it from me and scream at me until I give it to them. Um, yeah, the yeah that's action, it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Or if somebody wants some attention. <laughs> yeah, that one too. So. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast, and that was my conversation with Johnny Taylor. Thank you so much for listening.